Well, everybody has a family, and every family is weird. Every family has problems. Every family has embarrassing stories that they try to hide. Every family has some form of dysfunction. But everybody needs a family. As much as we don't want to admit it, as much as we don't like it, every person needs a family. And today's message is really important because I believe that the greatest test of our character is found inside of our family. The way we interact with our family, both our immediate family and our extended family, is a tremendous indicator of what kind of fruit of the Holy Spirit that we have in our lives. And I know that this day that, that when we think about family, there's all types of different definitions, but I want us to look at God's definition today. You know, all, over, all over culture, there's all types of indicators that culture is family friendly. I remember somebody telling me the story of when they came to visit Hendersonville looking for a place to live. And this was quite a few years ago. They were driving down Main Street, and on one side was the park by the lake, and on the other side was the park where Drake's Creek, uh, where that uh, complex is. And this man said, I thought this is the kind of place to raise your family. And that caused him to want to move to this city. Just right across the highway, we have the streets of Indian Lake, and right in the middle of the streets of Indian Lake is a fountain. So families, as they shop, can Watch their kids play in the fountains, and that can be a certain form of attraction and entertainment. All over the city, there are family nights where kids eat at a discount or kids eat free. And some of you really know what those nights are and where those places are because I run into you with my family at those same restaurants on particular nights. And a couple of years ago, I... Uh, uh, nights I was responsible for the dinner because Beth was doing ministry or, or whatever the case was. Uh, I had a couple of ladies in the church that I would text and say, who has free kids food tonight? And these ladies knew it was a co-op, so to speak. So, so family friendly uh, indicators are everywhere in culture. But unfortunately, a lot of those are marketing. They don't necessarily come from a heart. That says we value the family because there are many, many indicators and many, many things promoted in our culture that actually, actually battle against the family and try to keep the importance of the family limited. And so many messages through the media, through our entertainment, so many messages that we give to one another that just kind of says, yeah, despite the coupons and family nights and playgrounds, family really isn't that important. Self-fulfillment's important. That's what's important. So I want us to look at what God says about the family. And the first thing I want, I want to observe together is this, is that family is God's choice. God is the one who choice, chose the family. God is the one who chose the family from the beginning. And I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to start there today. Beth said Genesis chapter 6, only because I typed her announcements out wrong. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And over these last few weeks and these coming weeks, th- there's a bit of a debate within our culture. 
There's a bit of debate within the public dialogue of, of what makes a family. And I think that there could be a great argument politically and civically that, you know, should, should the government even get involved in defining what a family is? I think about that when I do weddings. I've been trained professionally to say at the end, by the authority of the state, I pronounce you man and wife. Well, I mean, what happens if the state doesn't exist? What happened if the state is corrupt? I mean, sure, we filed paperwork with the state of Tennessee for some legal arrangements, but there's something much deeper than what politicians decide. And it's what God decided in the beginning. So I'm more interested in how faith communities are defining marriage. I'm not going to get into the political debate with you. If you want to ask me personally, I have some opinions. But religiously, as a group of people, who, who defines marriage? And what defines marriage? And so we go back to the only source of truth that doesn't change. Doesn't change, and that's the Word of God. And in Genesis chapter 2, we, we find the beginning, the story of how mankind was birthed. And how mankind started, and and we can start in Scripture, and starting in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. For those of you who are introverts, and I've kind of developed into an introvert, believe it or not, that's important for you to remember. You might get recharged being alone, but it's not good for you to be alone all the time. Just because you, you gain strength from solitude which is an equally biblical directive. But from the beginning, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Here we see a story from the beginning of civilization that marriage was always between a man and a woman. And this has played out throughout history. Centuries and centuries of history in every civilization. That has been the definition of what marriage is. So this was at the beginning, and so the question says, and, and we're not going to spend a lot of time today talking about uh, homosexual marriage. I did a whole sermon on that back in April, and you can find that online. But I want to touch on this once again, uh, because this, I want you to hear what God says. Not, not all, the other, all the other rhetoric that we hear sometimes. Jesus, what did he address about this issue? It's true that Jesus never taught directly about homosexuality. But he did clearly talk directly about marriage. And in Matthew chapter 19, when he was in a discussion with 
um, the Pharisees, and they were actually talking about divorce and remarriage. In Matthew chapter 19, we'll read this together. Jesus answered, have you not read? Now, what did they read? They read Genesis chapter 2, the Torah, the law of the Jewish people. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So that is Jesus quoting the scripture we just said. And this is just a reminder that the genders are different. They're different physically. They're different emotionally. They're both wonderfully made. And God made them different because two different genders can become one. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And, and we'll just, we'll stay right there. We don't need verse seven in there. So that's through verse six. What God has joined together, let not man separate. And so it is a marriage from the beginning of the scripture, reaffirmed by Jesus, reaffirmed by history. And there are a third of the world, a third of the world claims to be Christian today. And, you know, you can make the determination. I don't think that person's Christian. That person across the street's not Christian. But statistically, a third of the world claims to be Christian. And the vast majority, the vast, only a minute, a minute amount of Christians believe that marriage is anything but a man or a woman. The Roman Catholic Church has been strong on this issue. Every major denomination Protestant denomination has been strong, and only some American and European denominations are starting to vary from that. So we have, we have centuries of tradition. And more than that, we have the Scripture itself. So I wanted to reaffirm that. Because God chose the family. God's the one who said, this is what a family is. This is what I say a family is. And when I do weddings, you know, from now on, I'm going to say, by the authority of the state and the authority of God's Word... We say you're man and wife because that's what's never going to change. It's God's word. Marriage is so important to God that, that he wants family. He wants family to be more important than the church. We say it all the time. It's God and then family and then church. Well, that, well, that sounds like a, a nice priority list. But that's a biblical directive too. Because in the New Testament, when Jesus, excuse me, when Paul was giving the qualifications of a spiritual leader, an elder in the church, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 4, he gives this whole list, and we're going to look at a little bit of the list here. He says, he, being an elder or a pastor or a leader, must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse 5, for if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? This is reaffirming God's choice. He said, listen, the family comes before the church. The family leadership starts in the family. You lead your wife and you lead your kids. And then maybe we'll start talking about your leadership capacity within the church. That's God's heart. That's God's heart for the church. That's why it's so important that we look at we look at the status of the family when we choose our leaders. That's why we, we don't look at divorce and remarriage lightly when it comes to church leadership, and especially pastoral leadership and senior pastoral leadership. We don't look at it lightly. We ask tough questions and we pray and we seek God because God says you better manage your family first before you try to manage my family. 
I'm just sharing what God said today. Listen, you can get Aaron's opinion, and Aaron's opinion won't stick with you. Because it'll change with culture, and it'll change with the mood. This is what the scripture's saying to you today. Family was God's choice. Now, whenever we start talking about family, I know some of you come from some unimaginable tough situations. And I, I want you to know this, that there is no such thing as a made-for-TV family. That perfect family. That's why the video we saw a little bit ago, we all laughed because that is something, if you've raised kids, that is something that has happened to you on Sunday morning going to church or some other event. That, that's just life. I mean, no family is perfect. Not even pastors' families. Uh, we, we had a doozy, me and my kids did, on the way to church just last month. And uh, that's just life. We try to limit that. We try to show the fruits of the Holy Spirit more and more and more. But here's the truth. God chose your family. And some of you are in tough situations. I understand that. And I wish you weren't in that situation. And I'm not excusing behavior of other people in your family. I'm just saying that God chose your family and he can work for that tough situation. He can make you a better person. He can form his love and character in you. And one thing I've learned about families and tough family stories is family stories don't end. They don't end. They have lots of new beginnings. And I thank God. God wants you to know that today. God chose the family. He cares about your family. What we do is when we get hurt, we run from what hurts us. I mean, a lot of times this isn't 100% true, but many, many times when someone says, I'm never doing that again, I'm never going there again, I'm never involved in that, a lot of times when we dig, we'll find that there was a hurt there, and whatever hurts us, we run from. So it is with our family. I mean, sometimes we think, hey, I am never, I'm never going to go spend holiday with my family again. I'm never going to talk to them again. They are defriended from the Facebook it's amazing how that has become such an indicator much faster. I've heard that a lot. They defriended me. It's so quick to defriend someone like that. So there's a lot of nevers. But I just want to let you know that God works through time. And don't give up on your situation. There are miracles. I've seen it happen in my family and I've observed in many, many families. Miracles can take place. Miracles can take place. I know there's exceptions to that. In my mind, you know, in a way, I'm wanting to qualify this situation, that situation. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit allow that to happen. I'm going to allow Him to let the season and sit where it needs to be. But family was God's choice. I was on a youth trip with junior high students. I was a junior high pastor for three and a half years. I loved it. All my junior hires now are in their 20s having kids, so it's really weird. But I love being a junior high pastor. I wasn't much older than them. In retrospect, I was 21, 22 myself. And we were one time at an amusement park, and we had, we had packed the lunch to feed the kids. And, and as we're starting to feed all these kids, they're really hungry from being at the water park. And we notice these 13-year-old boys, I mean, they are killing the sandwiches. And I'm looking at the bread and looking at them. I'm thinking, God, you're going to have to perform a miracle here. What's, th- this, is, this is a bad equation. And one of my, one of my sponsors, who's probably at the time about 40 years old, he fixed a sandwich and he grabbed the end of the sandwich. I mean, no one wants to eat, eat the ends of the sandwich, the, the, the heel of the bread. And he takes both the heel of the bread and he fixes him a sandwich. So I ask him, I'm like, why in the world did you use the heel of the sandwich? 
He said, because I'm a dad. Well, I was a dad then, and I, I didn't understand it, but I understand it now. That's a role you play sometimes. You don't eat what you want to eat. You eat what benefits the whole group. You don't do what you need to do. You do what benefits the whole family. Why? Because family, yes, is God's choice. But here's the second thing. Family is my responsibility. It's my responsibility. And I want to tell you today, you have a role. Grandparent, you have a role. Uncle, aunt, you have a distinct role in the lives of your nieces and nephews. Junior high students, high school students, you have a role in how your family is conducted. Every single one of you have a role in your family. And because you have a role, you have a responsibility. God has chosen for you to be in the family that you're in. And within that family, he's given you a responsibility. And the word responsibility is something we need in more of our families. And we need more in our culture. And if we understand responsibility, can I tell you that if we're responsible people, then other entities... Nonprofits and soup kitchens and shelters and government checks, they won't have to be the responsibility if we would take responsibility for our families. That's where God wants responsibility to start. When the Apostle Paul was teaching churches how to organize and teaching churches how they should conduct themselves and how they should relate to each other, he gives a A very harsh scripture, but it lets you know how important your responsibility to your family is. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8, Paul writes this. says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that's a strong statement. That's the kind of work ethic... And sense of responsibility that caused the early church to relate to one another. And it was this. Your responsibility starts in your home. And I'm just going to tell you, take care of business in your home. Take care of business in your home. Husbands, we have a responsibility to make sure our wives are happy. We have a responsibility to make sure they're happy. And that doesn't come through money And it doesn't come through a lot of materialism. It comes through love and care and attention and caring for them. And the old saying says this, either date your wife or you'll date somebody else. Because there's something within a man that we want to pursue. A woman, start with your wife. Pursue your woman because a family, family matters. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to pursue those type of relationships. It's your responsibility to create that atmosphere in your house. Why is this your responsibility to respect your husband? I've never been a wife, so I don't really know what else to say now. (laughs) So I'll just leave it at that. I'll tell you this. As a husband, I have not always been respectable. I have not. But my wife's respected me. Not always because of my conduct but because of the position God's given me in our home. And that's a sign. It takes godliness to do that. And it does. So we have this responsibility. It starts in our home. Kids, respect your parents, even when your parents make mistakes. I got some smart kids. 
My seventh grade girl, she's 12, going on 25, maybe 42. I mean, she is, her emotional intelligence is high. And, and she recognizes some things that mom and dad don't do perfectly. But she has a role, a responsibility to, to respect us. We've got to take care of business at home. We've got to take care of business with our family. God will make things well for you if you do that. I don't know if anyone who's ever regretted putting their family first. I know every day you can't. I mean, there, there's days where I'm making hospital calls. There's counseling things. So it's not every day where it's God, church, family. But over the full scope of my life, that's what it is. I said that wrong. See? Wow. God, family, church. I'm listening to my own sermons. Uh, on the, you know, there's times where th- those things get juggled around. There's times when I need a couple of days of solitude and get alone with God. And there's times when I have professional obligations. Some of you work 12-hour shifts. And those things, from moment to moment, day to day, those things shift around. But the big picture is God, family, and then church. Isaiah 58 is a powerful scripture about fasting. Isaiah 58 talks about a people who were very religious and they fasted a whole bunch. I mean, they followed the rules and at the right times of the year, they would fast and pray because that was a religious custom. But in Isaiah chapter 58, God confronts these people through the prophet. And he says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. So, so not just, he, he's saying this, I don't want just food. I, so free, I don't want you to just abstain from food and drink. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from your relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. That's a powerful word. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Go back to verse 8 for a second. This will preach right here. This will preach. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. And your wounds will quickly heal. That's a good word, isn't it? And your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of God will protect you from behind. And that will preach right there. That's good preaching stuff. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, in, the new, in the New King James or King James Version, it says, The glory of God will be your rear guard. I used to pray that. I didn't even know what that meant. I just said, God, you're going to be my rear guard. And then now I see in the scripture, God's going to protect you. Then going on, I mean, this is verse 9, uh, an awesome scripture here. It says, when you call, the Lord will answer. How I many know that will preach right there? I mean, that, that is the kind of stuff. And when you, this is going to happen. God's going to do this for you. Well, that's the second half. That's verse 8 and 9. But let's look what verse 6 and 7 said. Let's go back to verse 6. It says, this is the kind of fasting I want. Before 8 and 9 happen, this is what's going to happen. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. That's the type of stuff that will produce verse 8 and 9. Now look at this phrase. 
And do not hide from your relatives who need your help. That's, a, that's an incredible phrase when we talk about my responsibility. My responsibility to my family. Tim and Stephanie Perry shared the scripture with me. And Tim, who's here in the service, shared the story at the men's retreat. How he and his wife were in a fast. And God took them to that scripture. And God took them to that particular translation. And when he came to the part in verse 7, it says, Don't hide from your relatives who are in need. The Lord began to stir them about some of their relatives in another state. Relatives who, like a lot of Americans in these last five years, had dealt with unemployment, had done the full 99 weeks, who were having some trouble managing managing their mortgage and some of those details. And in the middle of the fast, God told them, reach out to your relatives. So they opened up their home and they opened up their lives and they brought that family from another state and they let that family move into their home. And that's the type, that's the type of work God wanted to see. That's the type of fasting God wanted to see. And my point is this, is your family is God's choice. And it's your responsibility. Don't, don't overlook your family. Don't, don't overlook what God has made you responsible for. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit make that life to you. Because I know every situation is different. And every situation is complicated. There's part of me that wants to list. I understand and start listing all these exceptions. But you're just going to have to work through that. Because life is complicated. And know that in your heart, God said, don't, don't abandon your relatives. Don't abandon them. They matter. So, as we, we project into the future, what's, what's our culture going to look like in 10 years? What's our culture going to look like in 20 years? What's our culture going to look like in 100 years? 100 years seems so long ago, but yet it doesn't. And, and I'm just going to tell you this. Is if the family is God's choice and the family is my responsibility, the family is our future. The family is our future. I want to be very clear about that. It's our future as a people. That's why we have to care about marriage and we have to care about being fathers and we have to care about being mothers. We have to realize that we always have a role to play in the family, even if we haven't been able to produce children ourselves because maybe we haven't found a spouse or God hasn't showed us a spouse or maybe that we're biologically not able to do that, but you still are part of a family. And God has you part of a family. And God wants you to know that the family is our future. And the family really does matter. The family makes a difference. Beyond, beyond groups of people who live in the same home, yes, that family is important. And I believe that every culture's definition of that family will help determine their future. But let's look at the family way beyond that. So I want to remind you of something. We're a family. We're a family, guys. God has made us who follow Jesus Christ a family. That's why Galatians in chapter 6 says it this way. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Let's do it to all people. But this is a good reminder, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is something that 
we practice here, the, the Community Pastors Association in Hendersonville, we started in the 70s, the Hendersonville Samaritan Center. In Gallatin, they started Gallatin Cares. And this is the agency to where when people call looking for benevolence, they'll call the church and we funnel our benevolence through them because unfortunately some people work the system and they try to get some money from this church and some money from the next church. And so people from the community, we send to these agencies where we properly file and we have prepared people to work with them. But part of that system is this. We've got to take care of people in this church. So we take care of our family. So if someone would go to Hendersonville Samaritan Center, they'd say, what church? Are you part of a church? Go to that church. Why? Because Galatians 6.10 reminds us, let's do good to all people, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. And that's why when we have our Thanksgiving blessing in November, yes, we're going to provide Thanksgiving meals for the community, but we first evaluate, is there any among us who need a meal? Because that's God's way of doing that. He wants us to take responsibility. We want to make sure that when we give backpacks to the kids, that the kids in our church that might need backpacks have those for our back-to-school blessing. We want to take care of the family God's given us. This whole concept is reinforced in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, we, we learn about the family we're a part of in verse 11. It says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. I love that scripture because many times when I pray, I pray uh, uh, to the transcendent God. God, you're so far above us and you're holy and you're separate. And other times that I pray, I say, Jesus, our big brother who loves us and he is the same. He's holy and transcendent and beyond us and yet he's called us brother. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a beautiful thing. Here's my heart. For this church family and for our body is this. It comes from a prayer found in Psalm 79. Psalm 79 says it this way. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Man, I love it. I love the fact that I see Ed here and Chris here, and I know I saw Noah earlier up in 4.6, generation to generation to generation, recounting your praise. We need more of that. We need more of that. We, we, we need more of that, realizing that my family is God's choice, and it's my responsibility, and it's our future. So you're part of this family. So when you volunteer for children's ministry and that allows a mom to get a break and, and to come in here and to worship God, you're part of a family. And when you're in the parking lot and you're helping people to find a place so they know where to go and they're great, you're, you're part of a family. When you mow the yard, I saw someone mowing the yard at 7 o'clock this morning, mowing the church's yard. I came here today. The stage is back. We're part of the family. We're, we're doing something. We're making a difference. God chose us. He put us together. Jesus is our brother. The one who paid the price for our sins. And so we're here together. We're here together. And that's our future. That's our future. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray. 
for everyone who hears my voice, whatever they, role they play. For those who are single, are, have not yet had kids and not sure if that's your plan. God, I pray, Lord, that you would let them know that this message today was for them. Because, God, they are part of a family. They're part of a family. Lord, I pray that dads, we'd get more serious about being dads. And moms, we'd get serious about being moms. That grandparents would become prayer warriors. I pray, God, that aunts and uncles, Lord, would see that God has a distinct role for them. And God, we do pray that as our, uh, our future unfolds as a people, that God, you would help us to value the family, not from a marketing standpoint, but from a place of deep conviction. That Lord, from the beginning, you said in Genesis 2 that it's not good for a man to be alone. That a man and a woman should come together and be fruitful. And Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you for your work in that. So Lord, I do pray for our families that you would strengthen them and bless them. God, I I speak miracles over families. Turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. Lord, I pray, God, that when there's disagreement, Lord, and tension between a daughter and a mother, that, Lord, you, your love would come. And, Lord, it would heal that. Father, I pray for adult parents and adult children, that, Lord, their relationships would get better. That they wouldn't just live in the past, that they would get better. God, we commit these things to you. I pray blessings over the families of this church. Lord, I pray the families of this church would be blessed. That they would grow in love. They would grow in strength. And that, Lord, you would help them. And we love you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Can we all stand together in an attitude of prayer? I want to give you a few moments to worship the Lord today. To respond to this message before I dismiss us today. There's several different ways that you can respond both at the front and the back or communion will be available. If you want to come and take communion, you can take that on your own. I won't be giving any other directives about that. But as we worship, you can take that as an individual. If you want to take it with a family member, that would be fine. If you want to use these steps as something that represents an altar, they're available to you. Also, on the back wall, we'll have some prayer partners available because sometimes you just need someone to agree with you in prayer. It may have nothing to do with this message. Maybe that you're sick in your body. It may be that you're just needing a financial miracle. But sometimes when we agree in prayer with someone, it helps us because the Bible says the prayer of one is powerful. But the prayer of more than one has way, way more power. A multiplication of impact. So that's our chance. Beth's going to lead us in some worship.